Praise the Lord, everyone. Praise the Lord, everyone. <laughs> Good to be in the house of the Lord. Once again, thankful for what God is doing and what he is going to do. I don't know if you all can hear me. If not, we'll turn up the volume just a little bit. Amen. As you all know, I don't speak very loudly most of the time. Every now and then I get excited. But um, <laughs> amen. But I'm glad to be in the house of the Lord. So glad for what God is doing. Glad to be here before you today. It's a privilege to have this opportunity. And uh, as I said before, thankful for all those who have prayed uh, for healing. You know, God is so awesome. and He's doing awesome things. And uh, we just heard a, a wonderful testimony. And, you know, you would just have to walk in those shoes to know, to really appreciate what God is doing in someone's life and i want to encourage you sister keep walking in your victory amen you claim that every time the enemy tries to throw it back in your face you just tell the devil nope this is my victory you can't take it from me you know those songs that say i'm going back to the enemy's camp to take what the devil stole from me you know the devil can't take anything that you don't give to him but i don't want to take anything from the devil myself if it's meant for me to have i want god to give it to me amen The Bible says, thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. And as long as you stay connected to him, you're going to stay connected to your victory. Amen. So glad for what God is doing. We are going to get into the lesson today. And again, thankful to the pastor for the privilege to be able to stand before you Uh, for these next couple of weeks. I'm going to hand out some some of these handouts here. And if you look at it, it's a basic outline. If you know anything about me, you know, I don't tend to stick to notes on a page. And uh, and so rather than to have anyone distracted by waiting to see if I'm going to say anything that's on the page, you have an outline and then you can focus on what's being said rather than just reading through the papers. And if you want to take notes at any time, feel free to take notes. Amen. And the beautiful thing about it is we record these services. So, you know, thankfully, you can go back and you can listen to it again, you know, to all these lessons that's being taught. And sometimes things come out that's not in our notes. (laughs) So, amen, it's a good thing. We have a lot of opportunities to be able to reflect back on what God is saying. So I did get something in my mailbox and I want to share with you the letter that I believe that God has given me. For these next couple of weeks we'll be talking on the topic hindrances to go. Hindrances to go and I put the go in the quotations because obviously when you think of to go you think of eating and food to go and whatever it is that you're going to pick up to go but we're talking about things that prevent you from going so we're going to go to matthew 28 19 don't let anything hinder you from going to matthew 28 and 19 and 1 verse 20 
Amen. Matthew 28, and we'll be reading verses 19 through 20. That's what we'll be starting out with. Give me a moment to get there. And most of us will probably be able to quote this particular passage by heart or by memory. There's another message right there. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus is talking to the disciples and those that are around. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them, verse 20, to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now, this is one of the scriptures that we like to use when we are uh, talking on the subject of the oneness of God. And it would seem contradictory, but when you understand its context, and you understand uh, what Jesus, the, the entire ministry, and you understand what the Bible is talking about when it talks about that name. If uh, Isaiah 9 and 6 talks about that name, and it talks about the name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we talk about the name in Matthew chapter 1. And so here it is, Jesus is telling them to baptize him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And I won't belabor that point because we have heard it many times, so we should have a, at least a fundamental understanding that it is referring to one name, and that is the name of Jesus. Amen? So he tells them, he says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus. That is that name. And he says, also teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you. And the great thing is, he promises them, he says, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus instructed his disciples to go teach and baptize people everywhere. In the name of Jesus. Now, this particular passage of scripture is commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Now, the word commission can be defined as an authorization or command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. Authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. A task or matter entrusted to one as an agent for another. Think about that. Jesus is commissioning them and he's basically entrusting them to carry out this assignment, which is to go into all the world and do what? Teach, right? And baptize, right? Now, if you were one of those disciples, how would you feel about being charged with that overwhelming assignment? How would you feel when Jesus tells you, the few that's standing there, that you got to go out into all the world 
and teach everybody and baptize. Can you imagine what the disciples felt? And perhaps this is one of the things that causes us to be discouraged because we're trying to fulfill this assignment today. And there are people who don't want to be taught. They don't want to be baptized. And so naturally, if we look at it a certain way, we might feel like we're failing because everybody doesn't want it. But the good thing is God doesn't hold you accountable for those who reject the truth. He just gives us the responsibility of sharing the truth, reaching others. And this is what this really this passage of scripture is really talking about is reaching people all over, making that connection. And there's a world of full of people in this particular time that needed to be reached as much as Jesus did when he ministered to folks. There was still a whole world of people that still needed to be reached and ministered to. Jesus did not. He chose not to do it all by himself. Instead, he employed the disciples. Today, there is still a need for someone to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it is understandable that not everyone is called to the mission field to go out to other countries and minister to folks. But you don't have to be a missionary across seas to reach folks all over. Think about the distance that you travel from day to day and the amount of people that you come in contact with. This is something that I share with my children sometimes when they, you know, I say you go to school and you're around a whole host of people. And you have to go there day in and day out. You're in the class. You sit in a classroom full of young people that are your age or around your age. But they don't know and they don't have what you have. So in that year's time, what have you accomplished? What kind of impact have you made? What kind of influence did you have? And like I tell my children sometimes, is it you having influence on, on them or they having influence on you? So the same can be taken when you go to work or wherever you go in your neighborhood, in your community. You know, some of us have friends that are not in church. But are they influencing you or are you influencing them? Because at the end of the day, just because Jesus, this was captured in the verbiage here, in the scriptures, the assignment still applies to us today. We are still to go out and to teach and to baptize. In other words, we're still supposed to be reaching. It's the ministry of connecting people with Jesus Christ, right? But we can't do that if we're not being an influence on others. Those of us who say we are or profess to be Christians, every professing Christian should indicate so by living a lifestyle that reflects who? Jesus. It is so nerve-wracking spiritually for me to hear folks say or profess to be Christians and then not live the lifestyle. 
Now, we are all a work in progress, but that is not an excuse not to live up to the things that we know we're supposed to do. The Bible says, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Amen? Isn't it amazing how we got a world full of people that will come up with excuses real quick? And you know what an excuse is. It's an attempt to justify our behavior, our actions, whatever's wrong. An excuse is a fabrication of truth. Now think about this. If you've got to make up the truth, that means it has no substance. Consider this for a moment. When you tell the truth, when you tell something that's truthful, psychologically, what happens is you connect with both the experience and the emotion or the feeling, the placement of that particular event, that situation. So if I tell the truth about something, my mind is already recollecting everything that is associated with that information. But if it's a fabrication of the truth, I've got to make up the experience. Because psychologically, I automatically want to connect with something. So I've got to make up the experience so I can connect with that experience. But here's what happens with the fabrication of the truth. Because it's made up, it's not consistent. There's no substance to it, right? So I've got to reinvent that every time I tell that same fabrication of the truth. And because it's a fabrication, it is, yes, subject to change. It becomes inconsistent, which is why when they interrogate folks, they keep asking the same questions because after a while, the truth will surface. Isn't that something? So then they're able to identify the truth and expose the lie. And that's what an excuse is. When you've got to make up something to justify, isn't it a whole lot easier just to say, I'm sorry? So when you're late to work, I was late to work because, you know, man, there was so much traffic. People was in my way and, you know, it, it, this big old accident and just, man, I was just late to work. And then comes, I'm sorry. So when you make an excuse, you assume to the person that you're giving the excuse that they should justify or you should be justified in their eyes based upon the reasoning that you're giving. Is this too much? Am I? So when you late the church, I've been there. It's a whole lot easier just to say, hey, look, I'm, I'm late. I'm sorry. Then to give you a whole list of reasons as to why, Pastor, some folks don't even bother to call. But then to give a list of reasons as to why I'm late. Well, you know, my son, he couldn't find his dress shoes and, you know, we was looking for the... the it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I was late. It's still, it's still wrong, Right? I may have a legitimate reason, but at the end of the day, it does not excuse the fact that I still was late. Let me ask you this, since, you know, some of us have an issue understanding from a church perspective. If you got a job, think about it now. If you got a job, 
Let's say you're a cashier. If you are late to work, you're the cashier. Customers are coming in, but they can't purchase any products. Because guess who's absent? The cashier. What does that mean? That means there's a potential of losing business. Right? Now, for the boss, whoever the company owner is, what is he concerned about? He hired you to do what? Help him make money, right? You got a job to help profit the company. If you're late, you're a discredit to the company. Is he concerned because your child was throwing up and he was sick? Now, you may find some that that, that care, but that's up to them. An excuse assumes that they should be okay with your reasoning for not measuring up to the expectation. Is that all right? Okay, so understanding excuses then. If we understand that, we understand that really all we have to do is just get it right. If we know we recognize something is wrong, it's just a whole lot easier to say, I'm sorry, and get it right. Right? As a Christian then, it's not just enough to profess to be a Christian and then know there's some things that's taking away from us being a Christian. So then what should we do? Reconciliation, right? Reconcile. That's the beautiful thing about having a relationship with God. If there's some things that's not right in your life, you know, it's going to be those times. But when you let that stuff sit and you let it fester and you let it just build and grow, it becomes a whole lot harder to let it go. And then after a while, what happens is, while you're going about thinking that you're professing, you're living up and consistent with what you're saying, your life is consistent, people see otherwise. It shows in your behavior. It shows in your attitude. It shows in your actions, right, and the things that you do. That's why folks that slip up and cuss, you ain't just slip up. It's been building up. Out of the abundance of the heart, the, y'all all right? So professing to be a Christian should indicate so by living that lifestyle. That's what should happen. Now, John 8.31, if you can turn there with me. Once again, Jesus is talking, he's teaching. Look at what he says to the believing Jews in verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. The word disciple is defined as a learner and a follower. So in other words, everyone who adheres to the teachings of Jesus Christ are considered to be his disciples. 
But the requirement is you've got to stay in the word, right? Because how can you share the word with someone else? The truth is supposed to make you free. But if you're not even free, how can you expect to effectively help someone else be free, right? So as his disciples, because those of us who are following his word today, that was my purpose for bringing that verse out, is understanding that today we are still his disciples. Did you know that the disciples did not just, it was not just within the confines of 12 people? Now, we recognize them also, the 12 is the chosen, the apostles, the original, right? But they were not the only disciples. And we find that out in Acts chapter 2, in fact. They say there were about 120 that were in the upper room, right? So obviously there was more than 12 that was following Jesus. And you'll find many times throughout the Gospels, there was multitudes of people that were following him. At any given time, you find there was a whole crowd of people. At one point, they tell you there was 4,000 and 5,000 that were sitting down listening to him teaching, you know, when he fed them with the fish and the loaves of bread, right? There was a lot of people at any given time that was following Jesus. And today, there are still followers. And guess what? We are part of that group. Followers. Are you excited about that? Excited about being a disciple of Jesus Christ? Amen. This is awesome stuff. So, as his disciples, then, we are commissioned to carry out the assignment that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them. The commandments, according to the commandments that I gave you, that's what you need to be teaching them. Okay? So in order to do that, you've got to know that, right? But look at it. The first part of Jesus' command begins with the word, go. One simple word, go. This is an action word that means to move or proceed onto a certain course. Sadly, not everyone that was charged to go decided to go. You remember Judas? He was among the twelve. But unfortunately, he was one of those that decided not to go. There was something else that interfered with his willingness or ability to go. And unfortunately, we still got folks today who are hearing the voice of God saying, go. How many times have you been out and you felt the prompting from God to go and just minister to somebody, just to speak a word to somebody that you didn't know, a perfect stranger? You don't know their situation. And in fact, they may look well put together, but God is telling you to go say something that you logically doesn't make sense to you why you would go up to this individual and say this. God, why are you leading me to go encourage this person? They look fine. <laughs> they look okay. Give them an encouraging word. They're going to look at me like I'm crazy. God knows what you have need of. Yeah, but they look, look, look at them. They look like they got everything they need. If you ever lived in the projects, you, you see folks that have a nice car, but their house is 
run down. You never know a person's situation. But you can't go into that situation. If God is prompting you, he's calling you. He has a purpose. And it's not our job to figure out why God is telling us to do what he's telling us to do. We ought to try the spirit. Yes, we ought to use wisdom. But when we know without a shadow of a doubt, God is is prompting us. He's calling us to do something. That is not the time to sit there and analyze and dialogue with God to say, well, God, you know, let, let's see. Uh, let, let's let's make some logic out of this, God. You, you, I, I, I hear you telling me to do this. But what if they, man, they might turn around and cuss me out. They might, they might try to rob me. I don't know. I don't feel safe. They're like a straight thug, man. They're just a bunch of hoodlums out here. I don't know if I want to. Would you turn down this corner? I don't never go down that street, Lord. That's where all the graffiti start. I'm good. Right? Y'all remember Jonah, right? Go tell Nineveh. I'm not going there. I'll go to Tarshish. I ain't going to no Nineveh. I don't want none of Nineveh. Today, there are people Jesus is calling for, Jesus is calling to go and complete an assignment for him. Some people have heard the call for quite some time. You've got some folks who are, who've been in church, who've been living this life for quite some time. And uh, for most of that time, you can look back on your own life and identify those very moments when God was tugging at your heart and you ignored what God was saying to you, you chose not to go. Can I can I tell you something? This is something that I've learned in my life. You know, when I when I look back and I think about it, I say, God, I just wonder where I would have been if I would have just heeded to your every word in every part of my life. Sometimes we don't realize what we forfeited by not doing what God told us to do. Because understanding that every time you obey God, you're walking into the things that God has for you. Because you're following the plan of God for your life. When you ignore the things of God, you are actually forfeiting the things that God has for you. Who knows what that is? And the more you ignore him, the further you get away from him. That's not the life to live. We don't want to give up things that we know is already promised to us, that's already there for us. But the way to get there is to listen to the voice of God, right? So when God is calling you to do something, that's part of listening to his voice. Some people have felt the pull of love from God's heart, yet many people have allowed the things of this world to hinder them from accomplishing the mission. And perhaps there is an object in your life that's preventing you from carrying out the assignment Jesus gave to you. If so, it's time to overcome those things and get going for Jesus. We all have a part in the Great Commission. In this lesson, as we this was just an introduction, just so y'all know, <laughs> we we're gonna talk about some some things that that are hindrances to go. But 
in this particular lesson, we're just going to go over a few elements that are instrumental for us to have in order to do or and do in order to successfully complete the task that Jesus has for us. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is powerless, just real quickly. Powerless. Now, if you I think we talked about a few months ago, we talked about a power of attorney. Those of you who know what a power of attorney is, you understand that that's something that authorizes an individual to act or do something on your behalf. It is a legal document that authorizes someone else to do something on your behalf and in your absence. We've got folks who are operating and you've got to be careful because, you know, the Bible talks about having the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I have I've seen a lot of spiritual casualties to something of this sort where they look and they observe and with the natural eye, they see things happening. Spirit or that they attribute to spiritual works of God. You know, they they come into an atmosphere that just that, that man, it just feels so good. And, you know, it just seems like, man, things are happening and all these miracles and so on and so forth. And they must be of God, but they don't look like a Christian. I was looking on the uh, I was on YouTube and it was something else that I was watching. I think it was a pastor that I was talking about a little while ago who denounced Christianity. He said the Bible is not real and so on and so forth, you know, but he used to be a pastor. And uh, so there was a response to that uh, from a different individual who, speaking, listening to him, he said all the right things. But when I looked at the individual, I didn't get, if I wouldn't have looked at the individual, I'd be like, oh, wow, you know, that's, man, he's saying, oh, he's saying the right stuff, man, he's on point. But looking at the individual, it just didn't add up. And then upon further research, he, he actually has, I guess he has some congregational following. And he's teaching. Now, I have nothing against, you know, casual clothes, whatever the case may be. But I'm sorry. If you're going to present yourself before someone as a leader teaching and trying to encourage anybody in the things of God, you don't need to look like a bum. You can agree or disagree, but at the end of the day, God is about making things beautiful, not crummy. Now, I'm not saying it's all about looks, but what I'm saying is, if you have Jesus Christ on the inside, cleaning you up on the inside, shouldn't it reflect somewhere on the outside? Covert holiness. You know, these are, these are our street pastors. And, you know, I, I I give credit, you know, if folks are trying to do positive things, that's great. Do good things. You got a lot of good people out there. But at the end of the day, without God, it does not matter. I grew up in the city where I had, you know, winos that just, would, they were drunk, couldn't even stand up, and they quoting scriptures. But it doesn't add up. Why? Because they don't have any power. When you put them up against something, in fact, look at the lifestyle that they're living. They can't even break from the lifestyle that they're living because they're overwhelmed. They're overcome by the wrong spirit. They can't operate.
operate in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ because they're already under another power. Now, let me clue you in. Just because someone knows the scripture doesn't mean that they are operating or they're authorized to do something on behalf of Jesus Christ. Because the devil knows the scriptures too. In fact, the Bible goes on to say that the devils believe that there's one God and they tremble. So you got to be careful. The the devil can transform himself into an angel of light. So you got to be careful. Everything that has that form, you got to look for that power because that's what makes the difference is the power. Everybody knows what a battery is. You can take a vehicle. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm driving down the street and I'm good to go. And that indicator came on, battery indicator. I'm like, well, something about to happen. And I see all the indications. Car's about to die and just... Next thing I hear, I hear the engine revving up, but there ain't no power. Just battery was gone. Tried to charge it up a couple of times and just, oh, it, it starts. As soon as I disconnect those wires, it would die again. Try to run a car without a battery. In fact, most of your electronic devices that you have have a battery. Even the ones that you plug up has some type of battery. If you look at your computer, they have a battery cell on the inside to help keep the time and the clock running, even when it's not being powered. Without that battery, it's not going to function right. Well, that battery is what gives it power to do. Y'all remember the remote control cars? Didn't it frustrate you when the car didn't go as fast as you wanted it to go? You, you know, we would push on the, the lever like it was going to make it go faster. And when it dies, everybody knew it was time to do what? Change the batteries. Now, the other part could be out of, you know, out of, out of range. That's a whole nother message. But without that battery, you're not going to get it to go anywhere. Without the power of God operating in us, when you start encountering people who are possessed, and I'm not talking about the extreme manifestations. You don't have to see somebody foaming at the mouth and somebody, you know, levitating and somebody's just bodies contorting and everything else. You can walk by some people when you're in the store and feel like, whoa, something ain't right. You standing in line and you somebody come up and you like, hey, something ain't right with this. Nobody had to say a word, but there's something that's unsettling. And if you don't have the power of God operating in you, you are if you're vulnerable to that very same spirit. On the same token, if God is calling you to operate and say, look, I need you to go ahead and pray for this individual. How many folks would be willing to 
when you know that the individual is something, they just, mm-mm, it ain't right. Will you be willing, will you be able to go and lay hands and pray and believe that that devil will come out? If God allows someone right now to walk through these doors, demon-possessed, how many folks would be fearful and how many folks would be strengthened in the spirit? See, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. Right? See, that's what the apostles had. That's why they were able to do the things. And he already told me, he says, these things and greater things shall ye do in my name. There's that name again. Why? Because I've empowered you. That's why he told him, he says, God, the Father's going to send you a comforter. And it's going to be in my name. So when you receive this, you're going to have the power of attorney to execute the very same things that I did. And even greater things shall you do, he says to them, in my name. So those of us who say we have his spirit... We have a power of attorney spiritually to walk in that authority, to execute when it's time to do something, when it's time to come up and get some things. When you got some things that ain't, that ain't going right in the home, don't always chalk it up to, oh, it's just a phase. If your kids ain't acting right, it ain't always just a phase. You better start praying. Because the devil is looking for any way he can to weasel in. You keep giving excuses, talking about it's a phase, and next thing you know, you're trying to figure out why there's some crazy stuff going on in your child's room. That's been that phase that you've been talking about. Now the devil wants to manifest himself, and you going crazy, trying to call the pastor. Pastor, I need you to call here. I need to come and cast this devil out. Where's your spirit? Amen? Got to have power. The disciples were instructed to teach and baptize in Jesus' name, but they did not receive the power or the authority when he gave them that command. That's why he told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, wait. Let's go to Acts chapter 1 real quick. I see that I'm not going to get through all of this, but I got five minutes. See if I can make this work here. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. What did he tell them? Being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should do what? Not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. For what? Uh huh. Which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with what? The Holy Ghost, not many days hence. Then verse 8, look what he says. But you shall receive power after that. The <laughs> I love it. You got the Holy Ghost. That means you've got power. You shouldn't be running or afraid of no devil. Amen. The Bible says resist the devil. He going to flee from you. There's no reason why you a child of God running from the devil. You ever heard that song, the devil's on my tracks, trying to turn me back? 
You got to turn around and tell him to leave. You can get off this trail because I ain't turning back. Amen? You have the authority to speak to that joker and tell him, roll out. You do. Amen? Don't give him no space. Joel 2.28, you know, the Bible says, God, he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, right? Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. So then Peter says, this is the confirmation of that. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. After that downpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, they received the Holy Ghost. They received that power. He says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he repeats what Joel says. And then in the end, he says, for the promises unto you in verse 39, and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Guess what? It's available to everybody. That power. Amen? Luke ten nineteen. real quick. Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Everybody there? Look at what he says. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of. You see that word all? What you're running for? What you're afraid of? Why you're backing down? What is it that the enemy can throw your way that prevents you from doing what God called you to do when he's already given you the power to do it? Look at what he says. And nothing shall by any means. Ooh. Somebody said you got the power. Quickly, I'm going to the next thing here. I'm going to try to wrap this up with this last point here. The second thing you got to have is a commitment. You got to make a commitment. You can't be indecisive. The Bible says a double-minded man is in James chapter 1, verse 8. He says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You in and out of church can't figure out if you want to live holy this week and live unholy the next week. You can't figure out if you can stay away from one thing and then grab it the next week. You are unstable in all your ways until you make up in your mind what it is that you want to do. The best choice you can make is to commit to the things of God. Because heaven and earth shall pass away. But he says what? My word will not pass away. And rest assured that when everything else passes, we've got a sure place with him. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So don't worry when you see heaven and earth going to hell in a handbasket. I've got a place for you to go to. Amen. You're going to be saved if you do what I'm telling you to do. But you got to commit to it. Can't be in the valley of decision. And the last thing is needs a will. Uh, I've got will alignment there. And I know for those of you who've worked on cars, you got wheel alignments. 
But some of us need a will alignment. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying, he said, Lord, you know, if if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. That's the point we need to be at if we're going to do anything for Christ. we got to be willing to say, it's not about my will. It's not about my desires. It's not about my wants. And if you have a need, I heard a word say, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Delight thyself in the Lord and he'll give you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added. So it starts where? Starts with him. God, what is your will for me? We got a world full of people seeking their own their own will. You know, this is what I want. You ask young people now, ain't nobody praying about direction where God wants them to go. That's one of the things I keep trying to remind my children. Listen, as you get older, you're going to have to make a choice. But in order to make sure you're making the right choice, you need to invest your time now making sure you're seeking the face of God and know his voice. You can't wait till you're out there and it's time to make the decision. You got to know what is God's will for you. Sure, you got a lot of things. You got talent. You got all these other things that you can do. But what does God want you to do? What is his will for your life? You know, every time you deviate from the will of God, you deviate from your purpose for living. Did you know that? You are wasting space and time by not devoting yourself to the will of God. What a waste. The Bible talks about the chaff being burned up. That's that stuff that's wasted. You know, all that other stuff that you really don't need. That chaff represents the world. When God created you, he had a purpose for you. He had things that he wanted you to do. But every time you neglect and you remove yourself from the will of God, you are a waste of time and space. And what's going to happen to the waste? It's going to get burned. It's going to get destroyed. Let me leave you with the good news. You don't have to go there. It doesn't have to end that way. But you've got to be committed. You've got to adjust your will. And you've got to make sure that you position yourself to receive the power to do what God is calling you to do. We have an assignment. Amen. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about some things that hinder people. This list is not exhaustive. But you can identify some things in your own life and seek the face of God to make sure that there's nothing hindering you. Paul says, I'll let nothing separate me from the love of God. Amen. God bless you. Let's go forth. Let's take a break and go forth in the name of Jesus. Get ready for our dynamic service in Jesus name. God bless you.